Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, with the latest ideas to improve the health of our planet and its people. I'm Maggie Fox. Our planet and all of us are battling problems such as pollution, climate change, and new and re-emerging infectious diseases, and they're all linked. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sized insights into ways to help. Antibiotic resistance is a huge problem, with drug-resistant bacteria alone killing more than a million people every year. Misuse and overuse of antibiotics to treat human disease is a major factor, but it's not the only factor. Farmers and other food producers also feed antibiotics to livestock, and that can help the evolution of superbugs as well. Infectious disease specialist Kasim Alel of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and colleagues recently did a study that showed this evolution of drug resistance goes both ways. The more antibiotics people use, the more antibiotic resistance is seen in the human population and in animal populations. And the same goes for animals. The more antibiotics are fed to animals, the more antibiotic resistance is seen in both humans and in livestock. In this episode, we're chatting with Kasim about what he and his colleagues have found. Kasim, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. How is antibiotic resistance transmitted to people by the animals they're in contact with? So the transmission from animals to humans would be via three different sources, I'll say. So the first one will be via direct contact between animals and humans. Secondly, I'll say that Humans, I mean, the transmission between animals to humans could occur through the consumption of antibiotic residues in meat. And it's basically when uh, on farms, antibiotic uh, treatments are not stopped at the correct time. And then thirdly, which is the last way of transmission way between animals to humans, would be when when the antibiotic resistant bacteria is present in meat and it can transfer antibiotic resistant into human bacteria, for example. The risk of this to occur is very low due to different features but mainly because of high, because of high uh, cooking temperatures tend to uh, kill these bacteria. But there is just like a couple of cases, you know, when it's actually uh, very difficult to kill them. And it's because of the uh, different uh, resistant mechanisms that some bacteria have developed over time. You also found that the problem is bigger in low and middle income countries. Can you talk about why that is? Just let's try to think about the political, economic, sociocultural, and environmental forces that shape these nations. So, for example, in low- and middle-income countries, there's some underlying health factors, including living in poverty, having poor hygiene and sanitation, and having limited access to uh, healthcare. So, this might act as a, let's say, a promoter for uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria to thrive. So then this is crucial in this type of settings. Also, in LMICs, low and income countries, there's some sort of like difficulties or challenges when it comes to implementing uh, surveillance of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And also there is lack of monetary sources and infrastructure. And as you probably know, so uh, to test antibiotic-resistant bacteria, so you need to apply antibiotic susceptibility testing, which can be um, 
a bit expensive for some countries, specifically those who are low income. And also if you want to trace, for example, where the bacteria were originated, that's uh, very difficult and it requires sequencing techniques and that's actually very, very expensive. So I'll say that most low and middle income countries cannot afford these type of instruments. So what you're saying is that you can't really track it and so it can spread undetected and, and the countries can't do anything about it. Yeah, because of their surveillance um, capacities, basically, and also because of the lack of infrastructure. So also there is reduced, I mean, because of these, there is reduced control regarding mandatory prescriptions, for example. So in most highly developed nations, you see that you require a prescription in order to get antibiotics. But in low middle income countries, they, I mean, the regulation is not that uh, solid, let's say, it's not that mandatory. And there is even uh, informal markets where you can access antibiotics and also over the counters. So yeah, this is something uh, serious and, and and happens quite frequently in low- and middle-income countries. So are farmers and food producers in these less wealthy countries more likely in the first place to feed antibiotics to their livestock? When it comes to high-income settings, so we see that the use of antibiotics as growth promoters is, is prohibited. But in many, many low- and middle-income countries, the usage of antibiotics as growth promoters is something that is actually happening on the farms. So Again, you can use antibiotics. They are relatively, let's say, cheap for them, for the farm owners, and then they can have more meat in the very end, so they can sell more meat to the uh, people, basically. So this is a one of the practices, I'll say, that needs to be eradicated. But yeah, but it's highly prevalent in some uh, low-income countries. Also, in on farms, there is the prophylactic use of antibiotics. By these, I mean that some antibiotics are used as precaution to prevent uh, infection. Because uh, let's imagine that we are on a farm, so basically you have got a flock of animals, and then if one gets infected, probably it's going to transmit the, the bacteria to all others. So in order to prevent that to happen, farm owners tend to use antibiotics as a prevention, basically. But again, this practice, I'll say, is not uh, prevalent in high-income countries. And again, I'll say that the WHO with some other organizations are working on these in lower middle-income settings in order to eradicate this. What are some of the answers? I think you found that good governance was a factor. Can you tell us what that looks like? Political instability and corruption make the system to stumble. So let's say that less effective controls of antibiotic use not only in people here, but also in the animal sector, would be strictly related to higher antibiotic resistant rates. By this, I mean, for example, that less supervision and enforcement of laws that cover these issues would be strictly related to higher antibiotic resistant rates, again, in humans and animal uh, species. Well, also, we found that inequalities, so highly unequal countries, and also those countries where uh, private hospitals are predominant, are also related with uh, reduced supervision and control of AMR, or antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Again, so the more chaos you see in a country, so uh, the less stringent policies they will have, so then that might affect antibiotic-resistant as well. According to the WHO World Health Organization, approximately 150 countries have developed their national action plans to combat and tackle down antibiotic resistance. There is a necessity for a collaborative and multisectoral and even transdisciplinary approach when it comes to tackling down antibiotic resistance. So it's not even enough to work at the local, but also the regional, national and global uh, levels. 
with the main objective of achieving optimal antibiotic resistance surveillance and control. So what should the average person know about this? What would be your message to the, the average person listening to this podcast? The main message of me and my colleagues would be that we need to acknowledge that there is an, an interconnection between animals, humans, environment, and government uh, structures. So in order to tackle down antibiotic resistance, we need to work collaboratively uh, in order to, to launch and set the appropriate and accurate uh, policies in the uh, near future. Kasim, thank you so much for an informative chat. Thank you so much, Maggie. If you like this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, please share it by email or your favorite social media platform. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at OWOH at OneHealthTrust.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshmi Narayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, One Word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.